Episode 5. Did you think we'd ever make it to episode 5? Wow, thank you so much for all of your lovely comments and feedback and responses to the podcast so far. It is greatly appreciated and it's great to be getting these episodes out here. Today's guest is an inspiration and a fascinating character. He has been a competitive runner ever since he was about 11 years old and in recent years has put in some staggering performances, particularly at the London Marathon. His focus, determination and dedication is a real, real inspiration. You may well have seen him putting on some very inspiring posts on Instagram. Ladies and gentlemen, prepare to be insanely inspired. It's Graham Green. So I know people listening are probably probably quite familiar with you with some of your more recent Instagram posts that have gained quite a lot of traction with your amazing results that you've had in running (laughs) later on in life like they are they are amazing incredible results but I'd love to go back to the beginning with you and sort of trace back through your past and sort of see we can find where where the running bug kind of first bit you as it were so you were born in 1965 in Warrington and it was around It was around the mid seventies where you sort of first saw a first kind of cross country race that your brother was involved on, where where you were really yeah. kind of inspired to inspired by the sport. Yeah, um, I suppose every town has got one of these. Well, I don't know if they do nowadays, but way back in the seventies, uh, Warrington had um, a town cross country sports race where all the primary schools attended. Yeah, um, and it 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 just simply went on from that. I mean, because I had a brother who was two years older than me, he was always like the pioneer. So I was just followed in his footsteps. Mm. So he went to do this cross country race, and uh, it was to me, as I was probably nine at the time, going to watch me brother run this race. It seemed massive. It seemed huge. You know, people everywhere. Yeah, but I was obviously too young to run it then because my brother was two years older than me. So when it, eventually when I became sort of 10 or 11 years old, it was my time, it was, I was in my, my final year at primary school mm. um, and it was my turn to run the race. Yeah, so um, I, I remember at school, the, we had um, a primary school teacher called Laura Gibson who introduced athletics to the primary school that I went to, Beamont Junior School, right in the centre of Warrington. And she was quite a young teacher. She was very innovative. She brought all these new ideas into the school. And she introduced the uh, Three A's Five Star Award Scheme into the school. Got all, got all the kids interested in athletics, not just not just running, but you know, long jump, high jump. Bear in mind, we didn't have a, we also had a school field. We didn't have a running track or anything. So we, she just used to mark things out on the field and um, it all started from there really we got we got quite into it and enjoyed it and we, we went we did that during our lunch lunch hours at school so yeah did a lot of training in preparation for that race with mrs gibson from school so she was she was quite encouraging to you then as a young lad like you say she was like yeah. innovative and quite sort of progressive and forward thinking what kind of stuff and what kind of things would you do with you to kind of inspire you and motivate you when it came to running can you remember I can remember, yeah. She was she was such a nice lady. She used to take us home for tea. Really? Yeah, I mean that now would be frowned upon. Mm. But at the time it was all it was all so innocent. And she used to take about maybe four lads and four girls home. Um, she used to take us training on the school field. She just used to make us run. She used to set us off where the slowest would be at the front 
and the fastest would be at the back and you start to run maybe twice around the field and try and catch the person up in front of you. Um, like I say now, that would be completely frowned upon. But at the time, it was lovely and she was such a nice lady. Mm. And But when I look back now, she's probably only in her mid-twenties and I, I really, one day, should look her up and try and find her and go and yeah. talk to her one day because she's probably in her mid-seventies now. It, it um, sounds like she was kind of your first coach as well, really. Well, she was just the person. She was just so inspiring. She just loved it. She loved. Um, she she also made us do. She didn't make us do, but we did gymnastics as well. So in the winter we'd do gymnastics at school, mm. and in the summer we'd go out onto the field and we'd do our, our, our all our athletics. It were really really great innocent times. And so you've been working with Mrs. Gibson and, and she'd been sort of getting you in, into athletics and encouraging you. Then you then you started racing yourself. Was there was there a particular race to begin with that really kind of made an impression on you? Well, it was that school cross-country race um, because it was such a big event. I'd been to watch my brother run it two years previously and he came third. Um, so Mrs. Gibson then had us training for that race when we became in, in the final year of primary school. So, yeah, as we schooled, we, we went to that race and I was lucky enough to win the race. And also as the school, we won the, the team prize for the first four runners to finish. So that all started from there, really. And uh, then we got asked, a few of us got asked then to join Warrington Athletic Club, which at the time I thought was a big honour. But, you know, I didn't realise that anyone can join an athletic club these days and anyone can wear a club vest, you know. But at the time, I thought it was a, it was a big honour. Yeah, I, I can imagine it at, at that age, you know, yeah, so you were, yeah. what, sort of 11 going on 12? Like, I think I was, that... I was that, 11 then, yeah. Yeah, like, that must feel... I, I, I've only recently just joined a club. I'm very new to this. I only joined a club about sort of four or five months ago. I can imagine being at 11 years old. And do you think as well having that interaction with with Mrs Gibson was there a sense of sort of structure and, and discipline that you were beginning to absorb from her as well in terms of like your commitment to your training because I think people can see that now really clearly with the with the stuff you put on social media do you think there was a a foundation beginning to be laid back then even definitely, when you were yeah. working with her definitely yeah definitely yeah um, I remember I used to I used to come home from my lunch at primary school and lived maybe half a mile away and I used to run home as fast as I could have my lunch and then run back to school as fast as I could <laughs> and then we'd play football then for the rest of the lunchtime but but yeah and then you know again in the evenings I would maybe go for a run round because we lived in a Terry street I'd, got, I'd run round the streets maybe do five laps around our street and things like that. just really simple mm. um, honest pure stuff which at the time I didn't realize I was training I was just doing something that I really started to enjoy doing simple as that no running shoes or anything like that we're talking sort of you know black pumps really yeah yeah oh yeah I, I suppose as well like that I suppose that is how a true love for a sport begins isn't it where you're doing it and you're not consciously sort of thinking like oh I'm going to get three training runs in today I'm going to squeeze in a run for my lunchtime and maybe I'll do five laps in the evening you just doing no. it because it's fun like you're yeah, really enjoying nothing, it it's just it's just innocent pure innocence of, of, of keeping fit because you know you've got to imagine back in the mid 70s then uh, nobody had anything we had a, you know we, as a gang of friends we had a football and that was it you know we didn't there was no games to play or anything i mean what do i mean games i mean computer games or anything like mm. which is used to play out and and playing out was um football cricket tennis running 
mm. all kinds of things, all very, very innocent. But at the same time, I think it sets um, a lot of, there's a lot of basic fitness going into that unbeknown to us at the time. And I suppose because it's so accessible as well, like, you know, you can just go out and go for a run, like, but there is so much structure and progression to be had as well in something that's like immediately accessible. And I suppose you must have started to find that when you, when you joined the, the athletics yeah. club with Warren, was there, did you see, did you sense a shift when you joined that club? Was there like, okay, I've, I've stepped up into a different level of competition here. There's, there's more people yeah, around yeah, me who are quicker yeah, and definitely. stuff. Definitely. Definitely, because we had we we then had club nights on uh, a Monday and Wednesday night. On the Monday, in winter it was different. In winter we just used to go for runs, um, and we used to run from Victoria Park again in the centre of Warrington to quite. It was quite a big. It's still quite a big hill now, and I can still we'll still run up the same hill now. And it's it's a it's a really tough hill. So we used to run up there from the park. Bear in mind we were eleven to twelve years old then. It was a good two and a half miles to the hill. We used to do some hill repetitions up this hill and then run back to the park. So we did that on a Monday night. And on a Wednesday night, we'd run back to the same hill and we'd do short ones this time. So on a Monday night, we'd do long reps to the top, maybe take us, maybe they were half a mile reps. And then on a Wednesday night, we'd do shorter reps of maybe 200 metres. And I've always stuck to that basic principle of training, long reps on day, recover, short reps on the next session if you understand what I mean. It's just utter basics. I, I just stumbled on it by accident in the youth. Um, I, you know, I mean, long reps, short reps, race. Just to hear you describe that, like the idea of a 12-year-old in 2020 doing two hill sessions a week, long reps yeah. and then short reps, yeah. would be, uh, that would be, I suppose, sort of maybe frowned upon of like, putting too much strain on a young person's, on, on a young person's body. But I suppose then you're, you're instilling this this discipline, which quite clearly, uh, and training that quite clearly you've carried on through, through all your life. So then, so then, did you start with the club? Were you starting to compete sort of more and more? Were you getting involved in more and more um, races and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Then, then uh, Warrington as a team, we had a great team. We used to, we started travelling all over the country. We'd go down to Bristol. We'd go up to Newcastle, and we'd we'd run on all these cross country races. And generally. We would, we would win the team races. Uh, it wasn't very often that we got beat. I'm sure we did, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. We had a great bunch of mates. It was about 20 of us. And we all used to train together on a Monday and Wednesday. Yeah, it was such, it was such good, innocent times. We did train hard, but it, when you look at the results of the races that we did as youngsters, it, you know, it was obvious that we trained hard because we all ran so, so well. Plus, plus also, we did the Monday and Wednesday sessions at the club and on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we'd go for a run on our own as well. Do you think, how, how much can you remember, like what sort of mileage you were doing then off the top of your head, I roughly? Say, I would say as an 11-year-old, I was probably doing 25 miles a week. I mean, as that's... As a 12-year-old. That's pretty decent. Not not to, you know, accounting probably all the running around and maybe football and other stuff you yeah. were kind of doing during school and in your daily life as well. I mean, that's that's quite a workload. And yeah, when it's you... Yeah, it is. When you're when you were doing these races around the the UK, when you were kind of going to um, cities like Bristol and stuff like that, what what was that like? When you were were these your first trips kind of outside of your hometown? Or oh yeah, that... completely. Part of that then got me um, built up a love for for travelling and exploring. Just those innocent years of um, going to different towns, different cities, different races, meeting boys 
you know, they were the same age for me, but really they come from a different world. When I was just from the northwest of Warrington, I was meeting lads from Newcastle and lads from London. When I look back now, I don't think there's any other way that I could have met people like that as, as a young boy growing up in the northwest of England. You know, because you live in a very, uh, very focused way. We didn't have a we didn't have a family car. We didn't have a works van, and we used to go everywhere. My dad's orange works van. <laughs> so he he would be would he be driving you around to the races then in the works van? Yeah, yeah. That would be and your the, sort of team car rocking up in that. that. That would be our team car. Yeah, yeah. And me, me dad would make a little bed in the back for me and my brother. Men and say. So- what was it like when you were meeting like contemporaries of your age at these races? What was the competitiveness like? Was there a bit of like, would you try and like sort of psych them out a little bit? Or were you kind of just both there and sort of enjoying it together? Like, what was that like as a young lad? That no, there was, there, was, there was none of that enjoying it together that I wanted to win. Yeah. <laughs> awful, but... No, no. Yeah, no, I just wanted to win. Would you would you not really interact with them then? Were you quite like were you just quite focused when you were? Yeah, we did, it did, yeah. Obviously, we said hello and, and we used to t- go around the country to the big races. There was big races dotted around the country, and also all the sort of best runners from all the towns, all the districts in the country used to all assemble sort of maybe every every few weeks at the same races. So we'd run against the same people all the time. So you'd get to know who they were. So I would know who the best runners were from from possibly Stevenage was always a big town had some great runners Stevenage in Northamptonshire Mm. Uh, had a great tradition of runners so I got to know the lads from Stevenage you know the lads from Gateshead obviously Gateshead is a notorious club through you know what happened with Brendan Foster during the late 70s and things like that so yeah so yeah we did get to know these lads and where have you but yeah, it was it was sort of you'd you'd meet up after 200 metres at the start of the race because you'd all be at the head of the race again and so, so in terms of those races, like, I mean, you put in some pretty amazing performances as well. Like there's in January in 78, you were involved in the national inter-counties under 13s and like you were setting some pretty impressive times. So like, where had you taken your training from the sort of work you've been doing with your teacher, Mrs. Gibson, to where you were with the club? Because you were doing like... You did. You what was it? You had the you broke the world age 12, 1500 meter in Manchester with like four minutes and twenty nine seconds. What had you been increasing the volume of your training when you started working with the club? Yeah, I would say so. Obviously, it was getting into a more structured structured way by then. And like I mentioned earlier, it was always Monday night was long reps, Wednesday night was short reps, mm. and then weekends were a race. And it was just so simple as that. And the rest was just steady running to get in between those two sessions and then we'd always have Friday off because we'd always have a race on Saturday. But when I did the, uh, when I did that 429 as a 12 year old, I had to do a school race and school cross country race in the morning as well. <laughs> so it was, yeah. So we did the school cross country race. I mean, then my mum and dad drove me to Manchester in the afternoon. None of this was forced. I absolutely loved it. It was me that was forcing them to take me. If you understand what I mean. So yeah, it was such, such good times. It seems, seems such a long time ago now, and I haven't really thought about it for for many years. It's just the last couple of days, knowing that I was going to do this podcast, that mm. I've sort, sort of tried to revisit them in my head and think about what was happening and what was going on. I've still got lots of certificates, lots of photographs. I mean, on that wall there, you can mm. see it. That's me certificate that says um, World Age 12 Best. I've got that. That's a really nice reminder that I've got there. So that certificate now is, what, 40, 43 years old? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it's amazing. So, so what was your journey then? Because I know you you sort of started work when you were sixteen at the beginning of the eighties. Yep. So between sort of twelve to sixteen, was that that was your kind of a real yep. sort of lush period for you in terms of running? You were competing steadily through those four years. It was always cross country through the winter, track racing through the summer. But I I loved my track racing. As as I got a little bit older, as I got into my mid teens, maybe fourteen, fifteen, the cross country I didn't start to enjoy it because. When I was another 13, the races were nearly always a mile and a half, mile three quarters max. When you jump up to the next age group, it's under 15. They went up to three miles. I didn't enjoy those extra extra mile, extra extra mile and a half. To me, it seemed a long way because, but I had so much speed in my legs at the time as, as a young boy, as a 14 year old, I think around 52 seconds of 400 meters. So when I came to a race, I didn't sort of need to lead the race in the early stages. I just used to latch onto people and, and, and wait for a sprint finish at the end. And that's what I did an awful lot of times, more times than not. And where, where do you think that speed in your legs came from? Do you think it was just something you've, you've like, did your brother have it? Is it did something come from your, you, did your dad have it as well? Or do you think that's something that you just kind of inherited? Or was it something that you'd actively sort of focused on when, you, when you'd been training? No, I didn't focus on it at all. My, my dad was quite. My dad was quite a quick. Was quite quick. I think it must be a family genetic thing because my mm. oldest son Ben, he's lightning quick. He's he's run sort of forty eight seconds or four hundred meters. He's so much faster than I ever was. You know, at the same age. So yeah, I don't know. I think just some just some things you can do. Some things you can't do. Yeah, I could yeah. always sort of run quite quick. I had good leg speed as a young lad. Uh, the the strength thing I don't I don't think you can you're limited as to how much you can improve with with your natural leg speed strength is a different thing you can work on your strength and you can build on strength if you if you've not got those fast uh, twitch fibers it's difficult I think mm. to build those fast twitch fibers however you can certainly build your strength and your stamina much easier you can improve on your strength your speed beg your pardon and so that would be would that be your tactic then going into races that yep. would have be been like hold on wait to the last minute and then gun it for the last sort of 200 yeah. meters or whatever it would be would exactly be- last 200 meters yeah yeah if it, if it was feeling really really easy it might be 400 meters but it was generally 200 meters if it was shattered it'd be 100 meters but i had this mental thing in my head just to hang on hang on hang on hang on and wait for that you know, wait till you could see the finish line basically that would yeah. be your visual cue to go as soon as you saw yeah. that last that last line. You just go for it. Oh, oh, or I would make sure I knew, uh, knew where the last hundred meters. If it was going to a town or a race that I didn't know, I would go and make sure I looked at the last two hundred meters, and I'd think, right, that's where I'm going from. Whether it was a lamppost, whether it was a turning, whether it was a traffic light. Obviously, the track's different. The track you can see everywhere. You know mm. where you are. There's familiar landmarks on a track. But it was a road or a cross-country race. I would always go and have a look at the finish and think that's where I'm going from there. So I would just hang on and hang on and hang on. And, and uh, why do you think was it was you say you preferred or you kind of loved track more than cross-country? Was was it because track felt like a natural environment for for real fast work? Was it the speed of yeah, the track I, that I just, you loved? I just love the feeling of running on a track. Yeah, it's sim- simple as that, really. That Still sounds- do now. Still love training on a track. Oh, and yeah. I've really struggled the last uh, the last twelve months with lockdown because all the tracks have been closed. 
Yeah, um, I, I know. Same. Like we we had a brief honeymoon where we were allowed onto the yeah. track with with our club for I don't know, sort of four or five weeks or something, and then we had our last session before the national lockdown, and it was like everyone was savoring every hundred meters on the time yeah. just like oh because they you know you don't know when it's when it's going to happen again yeah you really have to sort of savor that so that was sort of took you up to about 16 and then then you got to get a job really you started working yeah you, when you were 16? left school then and i had no option but it well it, it was a natural progression leaving school getting a job it was a time when margaret thatcher just come into power jobs were becoming very very difficult to to come by and i, I got well, whether it was lucky or not, I'm not quite sure, but I got offered a job in a factory in Liverpool and I took it because it, the, there was nothing else for me to do at that particular time. You know, you, you've got to bear in mind that there's, there's, there's no money at all in running mm. unless you're going to be a Usain Bolt or a Mo Farah or, you know, there's no mm. money in it. So your prospects are, I've got to get a job. <laughs> so that that's what I did. And I what was the, the job? What were you doing in, in a factory? Worked in a factory for four years on a production line, yet making cardboard boxes. It was really, really hard, physical, demanding labour. And it was it was the, a job that my mum had done for 20 years. And my mum used to come home from work in tears with her fingers cut to ribbons on the uh, cardboard. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, I fell into the same job. Yeah, and I, I stayed there for maybe four years until I was just about 20. And what was um, the reason that you left? Well, I had an argument with my boss um, because he was he was making us work too hard. We only got a 10-minute break in the morning. We had 30 minutes for lunch and then another 10-minute break in the afternoon. And I was complaining for one reason or another. And he, he ended up shouting at me to say, you, you, you better get used to it because you're going to be doing this for the next 40 years. And something in that instant switched in my brain. And within five minutes, I um, I told him to to stuff it and I walked out and um, I walked to Lime Street Station in Liverpool and um, I got the train home <laughs> and that was it. I didn't go back. So then what was your next journey then? Because I know you then became, well, you, you then were a firefighter for a, for a long period of time. So did was that, did you just sort of roll straight into that or what was the period between that and then you becoming a, working for the fire well, service? Well, bear in mind I was 19 or 20 when I walked, when I walked out of that job, I was already engaged to my future wife at the time we had our first child ben when i was 21 so that was in 1986 by then so yeah and then so ben's mum jane then she she saw so said you know you've got to get yourself we've got a we've got a young family now get yourself get yourself a job and so i started uh, application forms for the application form in for the fire service eventually joined the fire service and sort of uh, yeah 30 30 years down the line I retired. So, yeah, I joined the fire service in 1988. And how was that then? Were you still running when you were, when you were, because I know you sort of put it to one side when you work in the factory because it was so yeah. physically demanding. But did you, did you start back up running again when you were with the fire service? I did. I started, I started back running again, but pretty much straight away after, after I walked out of that job in Liverpool. Yeah. So I started running again then with, Again, not not a great deal of structure, but once I started doing it, I really, really enjoyed it. And when when you start doing something that you've not done for a while, you start thinking to yourself, why did I stop doing this? Mm -hmm. But obviously, it, I, I had to stop because I was working. I was working a physical job and I couldn't physically do it. You know, getting to Liverpool as a 16-year-old every day from Warrington and getting back 
as well as doing a proper shift at work. It was a chore. So yeah, so once I left that job, I had a lot, lot more free time and started running again. Really enjoyed me running. And um, within a few years, I got down to sort of uh, running 346 for 1500, um, 813 for 3000. Did a good, good 5000s in about 1422. Got a good 10K, just outside 30 minutes, 3020 or something like that. Really enjoyed me running again for another good sort of five or six years until I got to be maybe 26, 27 years old. And then all of a sudden I developed an injury in my foot, which I didn't realise at the time was uh, plantar fasciitis and I couldn't get rid of it. One day I was in, I'd had that much pain. I tried a cortisone injection. It didn't even touch it. One day I just said, right, that's it. I'm not running anymore. And it was just like a big weight was lifted off my shoulders because, you know, I didn't have this pressure anymore of trying to run and trying to get fit and trying to stave off injuries. So, yeah, I left running and I didn't think about it for a long, 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 long time. And what was the that recovery, re- recovery process? Because I've also had uh, plantar fasciitis and it's, for people listening, it is a, a, a horrendous injury that can be really, really debilitating and, and leave you out from running for a long period of time. So how long was your recovery process from from the injury? I, I think I struggled... I carried on struggling to clear the injury for a good six to eight months mm. and with absolutely no effect whatsoever. There was no improvement whatsoever in them in those six to eight months. Um, so yeah, that's what I say. I just in the end I thought, you know what, I don't need this. <laughs> and I walked away from running again. And did you feel like, uh, I'm just interested, like, because you talk about it being almost like a pressure that you felt that you had to keep going with it. Like when you sort of psychologically decided that, I don't need this extra stress. Like, do you think that expedited the recovery of of the of the injury as well? Like mentally, sort of letting go of the of the the pressure that you were putting on yourself to run to to keep well, running. It, it it could possibly be, but also I was I had a young family there. I was juggling other things. I had a full time job in the fire service. I was also working other part time jobs just to bring extra money in. Really? Um, yeah, I had I had I had one job there working for Manchester Airport where I'd go and do my shift at work, I'd do my four days on, four days off. And then I would have to, I wouldn't have to, I chose to take this job on where it might have been drive up to Blackpool to pick somebody up, drive down to Heathrow Airport and then drive back down to up to Manchester all in a day. And I'd do that on my days off. So when it comes to running, I'm afraid that, you know, as a young family, we needed the extra money and the running wasn't that important. Yeah, you know whether it, especially if it was if it was struggling with an injury. Yeah, so fair the enough. main thing was to main thing was to bring money in for the family. And and yeah, the, to even contemplate doing like you know what you were doing when you were twelve years old, like two sessions a week after doing four days as a firefighter and then doing crazy driving as part of another job, like the yeah, just complete. You must have been just exhausted as well, especially as a dad with 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 the family. Yeah, it was just that was just the way life was. It, it was it was good times. Don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed it, and I wouldn't change it. Wouldn't change any of it for the world. It was it was good times. Made me learn a lot about money and a lot about myself, a lot about my life, and also a lot about my children. And what was that like? What was your time like in the fire service? Like, how was that? Did you? Was it something that you learned a lot from as well? Were there were there things that you took from being a firefighter that you sort of carried on in in your life? I really enjoyed the fire service for the first sort of. 20 years it was great especially the first sort of 15 years 
I worked with the, with the gang of lads. We were all the same age. We had all of the same interests. So we used to work together. We used to go out together. And it was just fun. And then eventually so one person left and somebody else came in. And then another person left and somebody else came in. And then over a period of time, it all started to change and things like that. Then people had moved stations. And first 15 years were great. The last five not so great. It's about, I suppose <laughs> it's like, well, it's like having that team around you like you did when you Absolutely. were at, at yeah. Warrington AC. If you have that, yeah. that gang that you feel, you know, connected with and have a relationship yeah. with that, that makes something that could perhaps be, you know, physically demanding with the athletics or, or just demanding being a firefighter that can make something a lot more bearable or less bearable, depending on the, the sort of people you, you have around you. So, so when Absolutely. did, when did running come back into your life then? That was, was it after you'd sort of retired from the fire service? No, no. Running came back into my life when, when Ben, my youngest son, got to being 11 years old. So we're now talking, it is 1997, because Ben wanted to run. Hmm. He wanted to run because all these same races that I did as a boy, as a young boy, it was now, you know, these same races were still going ahead and he wanted to do the same races because I told him that when I was a young lad, I did this and I did that. And I did certainly didn't force him to run. He, he wanted to run. So then I started taking him down to Warrington Athletic Club and he started he started training. In actual fact, I started training him because I, I, I still remember as clear as day the sessions I did when I was his age. So I took him to the same hill. We ran the same hill sessions that I did. We ran the same track sessions that I did. And all the time he wanted, what times did you do, Dad, when you were sort of my age? And he always tried to beat those times, and he did. He always beat him by a second or two. So, yeah, that was my introduction, getting back to running. Uh, and then also Ben's younger brother, Adam, he was two years younger than Ben. He started doing the same thing. So then I started taking those two around the country in the way that my mum and dad took me around the country when I, when I was much younger mm. so but I was so unfit at the time I couldn't even warm up with them and I didn't like myself for that the fact that you know I had these two these two young lads I was trying to tell them how to train this and how to train that and then I couldn't even warm up around the track with them and that was a bit of a turning point for me I thought I can't have this much longer so um, eventually I got to my mid-40s and I thought I need to do something about this so I eventually started sort of jogging again mm. And is that when, because you've, you've, you've talked about 10Ks and 400 metres and 800 metres and 1500 metres, but when did you discover the marathon distance? Was that, was that when you started on that journey again in your, in your 40s to, to sort yeah. of re rebuilding back your fitness? Is that when the marathon distance kind of came into your sights? Yeah, it, it, was, it, was, um, it was right at the end of 2011. I was way overweight. I was probably 88 kilograms. I was living with my two sons lived with me. They were both teenagers, young teenagers. And um, yeah, I thought I need to do something about myself here. So I started jogging again just to try and lose some weight so I could stop smoking and drinking. And uh, eventually somebody from Warrington Athletic Club who I'd stayed in contact with all these years said to me, do you want the club entry for the marathon in April? And I thought, God, marathon, 26 miles. I can't run that. And so when it, after a couple of weeks, I, 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 I agreed to it. I said, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And um, I started training then and I thought, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to try and break three hours, which is um, six minutes, 52 seconds per mile for 26 mile, which when you've not run for a long time, it seems quite hard that. 
and, and it was. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I trained hard. I really did train hard for it, but with no sort of, no real focus of, of, of competing against anybody else. I just wanted to compete against myself to try and lose some weight and to just see if I could do it. So, yeah, I did the race and I did two hours, 59 minutes, 30 seconds, something like that. And, so and I was you, really pleased with myself for okay. doing that. And then that then was the start of my um, fitness as, a, as, a, as an older person, just simply by being offered that place in the London Marathon. And amazing as well and impressive to to build back and then come in with a with a sub three. Because I know for myself included, like the sub three for for the marathon is a, a, a sort of amateur club level. That's that's kind of a bit of a, a holy grail. And so when you got that two. 259.58 did you then think okay i want to push this further i want to see how much more time i can take off 26 well, not not at that point i didn't really um but i was so i was so pleased with myself for doing it that i got the train home later that day and and the next day i went back to the roads where i'd done all my training for the previous um, four months just sort of just to run around these same roads and sort of just acknowledge these country lanes where I'd put so much hard work in and I just remember going for a jog down my favourite little routes sort of sort of saying thank you for these country lanes for helping me get back on a fitness journey and I still run on those country lanes now um, as, as homage really because I just love running down those same country lanes I've got loads of little loops and um Something came out of those, which maybe we'll talk about those country loops a little bit a little bit later on. A race formed from the idea of running around those country lanes. Okay, yeah, well, let's let's loop back to that definitely because I've spoken to a few people about about the marathon, and, and some people have described the actual marathon race itself as a as a celebration of all of the training that you've done. Like you've done the hard work in the three four yeah. months leading up to it. The race itself is is a is a sort of yeah an enjoyment and a celebration of that and i love the i love the idea of you coming back and kind of almost saying thank you to the roads that enabled that's exactly you to what I did. yeah i just think that's a really beautiful sentiment to say thank you to the roads that have kind of made you capable of putting in in a performance so so 2012 because you had other 47. key races in 2012 47 years old so then when was your next marathon my next marathon was was the following year Right. Uh, the following April, 12 months later, so I was 48 at this time. So I'd up my training a little bit then. I hadn't really thought, still, I had no intention to compete in against anybody. I was just competing against myself, doing this thing. I'd started my fitness journey, started to lose a little bit of weight. Again, I'd stopped smoking. I was really enjoying going for a run. It was, it was the highlight. It was becoming the highlight of my day, going for my run. Um, and a lot of people were... were even the last few years, when I talk to friends, now I've made a lot of friends again in the last few years, and they go running first thing in the morning to get it out of the way. And I've, I've never grasped that concept. I always think, well, my run is my favourite part of the day. So I'm going to do it at my favourite time of the day, which is usually in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So I would do all my other things, get those things out of the way, and then go for my run when I wanted to at my favourite part of the day. So I've never been one of these people. I've got to get up at six o'clock in the morning and get me run out, get me training out of the way, and then the day's my own. I don't see it like that. I see it as this is my day. This is what I want to do. And I'm doing this run on my favourite time of the day. 
Yeah, that's not bizarre to some people. No, <laughs> I, I'm the same, man. I I love it. It's like my main course, and everything else is like <laughs> starters or desserts or whatever else. And like you, you yeah. want to sort of relish that. And I understand for people, you know, there might be work and life commitments that mean that they have to sort of shunt it around. But I think if you have that perspective on your running, that it is something that you enjoy because you've got no one runs. 26.2 miles like if they don't enjoy it you've got to have an element of like loving that that distance and, and the sport itself to be able to do it but yeah that's a really great way to frame it I think as as the highlight of your day in order to keep to keep going yeah. with it so you had that mindset about the the distance so what was the journey from 2012 to 2013 because what time did you do for for 2013 was there a, was there an improvement from the year previous? Yeah, 2013 around around two hours 47 minutes so that's a good 12 minutes improvement and that was really just because I had an extra years extra years training in my legs you know I didn't necessarily up my training a great deal it was all based around me one I did a one long run a week that was my main run and because I worked at work I worked four days on four days off I would always make sure I did my longest hardest run on my last day off work so that on my first day in work I could have a really easy day because I was in work so it was always based I did always did my long run on my last free day off. And with the long run, did you, were, were there specific workouts that came with the long run? Would you do like like a fast finish long run? Would you do like intervals in the long run or would it just be sort of a slow and steady uh, long no, run? No, it was always, it was always, I would always run the first mile, maybe the same as my last mile. But what I've always done and still do to this day is I warm up for every single run. Now, whether that is just a five minute easy run at 7.30 miling, I would always warm up for that run. In other words, when I say I warm up, I would go for, I would jog for maybe five minutes. So I would just walk out my front door or wherever I was and just jog, jog, and gradually speed up to my jog, do a jog for five minutes, and then I would perhaps do two strides to get me up to the pace that I wanted to start my run at. Mm. And I've always done that, and I still do it now. The faster my session is now, obviously, the longer I run I do and the more specific time of warm-up that I do. But I've always, I've never just walked out my front door and run. I've always gradually built up to a, the pace that I want to run at. Then I have 30 seconds rest, gather myself, press my watch, and then I go. And do you think that, I mean, what's your relationship been in terms of the these the, your later years? What's your relationship been with like injuries and niggles? Do you think having that routine of making sure you've done a solid warm-up has, has it helped with you with in terms of injuries and strains and stuff? I think... I think so, but it, you've also got to think that as you get a little bit older, when you when you walk down the stairs in the morning, it's not the same as when you're 20. You don't leap and bound downstairs. I'm the same as anybody else. It takes me a minute or two to walk downstairs in the morning. If I, I, I've got to be really careful. So I accept that, and that's why I always warm up for a race, for, for even the slightest training session, whether I do it at 7 o'clock in the morning or whether I do it at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I don't run in the dark. I never run in the dark. I wouldn't run in the dark. I always make sure I do my training in the daylight now. So a bit of a, well, a <laughs> massive jump from from 2012 to 2013. So next marathon, 2014, were you back then again the same year? 2014, back there the, the, the next year. Yeah, I had a really, I started to up my training a great deal at the start of 2014. And I ran a half marathon, Wilmsall half marathon in the March, a few, a few weeks before the marathon in April. Yeah, I twisted I twisted my ankle during during the race. I don't twist my ankle. I, I, an ankle injury came on within mm. the race. And I remember waking up the next day. Anyway, it's a good 
two or three weeks, I couldn't train at all. I eventually got running again, maybe 10 days before the 2014 marathon. Got through the marathon with no great, with no, no pains. It, it was good. And around 243. And I was really pleased with that. Um, because again, I was still quite a heavy bloke. I was still weight training five, six times a week as long as well as running. So I was really pleased with that one. And Ben did that race with me as well for the first time. Now, Ben had never run over sort of 10 miles, if you know what I mean. It wasn't his thing. Ben liked the track. He liked 400 meter running. He liked 800 meter running. So we both ran the marathon and Ben did 235 and I did 243 that day. We went for a meal later on that day in Wimbledon Village because Ben was living in Wimbledon by then. And while he was there, one of his mates texted him and said, what have you and your dad done today? And my dad's done this and I've done this. And his mate got back to me and said, are you sure that's not a world record for a father and son thing? And we sort of looked at each other and thought, what? What's that? Yeah, so a few weeks later, sort of the Guinness... World Book of, Guinness Book of Records got in touch with us and said this is a father and son sort of world record for a combined time so that then started another chain of events where we said okay we've done that this year without even thinking about it let's see what we can do in 2015 and so just to go back over that so Ben your, your son Ben he'd never done a marathon before ever no. and he came yeah. in with a 235 on his first marathon yeah, um, and this is like you know a couple of years before he ran forty eight seconds and one forty seven for four for, for eight hundred meters, you know no no marathon training whatsoever. God. That's incredible. That 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 lends more credence to what we were talking about earlier about the it's in the water, it's in the genes, like that sort yeah, of that sort of um, ability with that with that distance. And you and that so that was never a the the world record was never a, a plan for you two. It was just a complete no, coincidence that you'd not you'd managed to tear it off. So then you'd done that in 2014 and set this world record for the fastest father son marathon. So then what was your what was your plan going into 2015 then? Okay, 2015 was a big thing for me because I was I was 50. I was 50 like 10 days before the 2015 London Marathon. But to go back to the previous August 2014 Ben sent me a message, said, Dad, have you seen the date of next year's London Marathon? It's 10 days after your 50th birthday. You've run 2.43 this year at 49, weighing that much. Again, that sort of set something in my brain. That, that was a massive, massive moment for me, just receiving that text off Ben to say, have you seen the dates of the 2015 London Marathon? So within 30 minutes or an hour of receiving that date, I'd worked out in my head, right, I'm going to train, I'm going to put everything into this race and see what I can do and see if I can win the over 50 race at the London Marathon. Now, this was coming from somebody that I had not competed. I'd run, but there was no seriousness in it. I was just running for fun and running for enjoyment and fitness. So, yeah, I made a, I made a decision then to, right, I'm going to train for this, but more importantly, I'm going to diet for it and I'm going to lose the weight so I thought if I can run 243 in 2014, weighing 78 to 80 kilograms, if I drop eight kilograms, what can I do? Mm. So I started off on that one and I started that one. I started training twice a day. I built the mileage up to about 18 miles a week I was running. I then I was running about 18 miles a week. In the January, I started a diet. I didn't touch a drop of alcohol from January to April. I cut out all 
of calorie loaded foods. Like I had no bread, I had no potatoes, I had no butter, no cheese. I lived a very, off a very sparse diet of, I had porridge in the morning with skim milk, a couple of blueberries and a cup of coffee. Uh, for lunch, I would buy a bag of mixed vegetables from Marks and Spencer's and I would put the bag, paste the bag, put the bag in a microwave, microwave for two minutes, and that would be my lunch. Just that bag of uh, broccoli, carrots, and baby sweet corn. That would be my lunch. And then for my evening meal, I would have either chicken, chicken or tuna, salad, and a few vegetables, certainly no potatoes. If I needed a bit of a kick, I would have some rice. And if I was tired before I went to bed, I would have two Weetabix. And I did that for months on end. Oh, great. I mean, and so you would do, how but are you managing dropped, to do I that 80 away. miles a week? How are you managing to yeah. find that energy to put in all those miles? Were you doing double run days as well? You said you were doing, I was doing double, double days. run days, some days. On recovery days, I was maybe doing five miles in the morning, seven miles in the evening. But no, honestly, I was, I was all right. I was all right for my mates because I was so motivated in doing what I was doing that I don't know, my brain just, I was just, Every time I went for a run, especially when it got to February, those last eight months, every run I did, I completely nailed because I was so focused in doing in, in what I wanted to do um, that I never even thought about being tired. Don't get me wrong, I was hungry. I was hungry all the time. The only time I wasn't hungry is when I was training. Um, the rest of the time I was hungry. But I was so focused. I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't know whether I could do it. I had no idea if I could do it. But I thought, I'm just going to try it and see what happens. I, can, I thought, I can do anything for three or four months. I can, you know, I can cut out anything for three or four months. And then eventually, sort of mid-March, the weight really, really started to drop. It's just like running with a rucksack on. And then every couple of days, taking out a weight out of the rucksack. So as I'm training more, I'm losing more weight. So I'm sort of getting a double improvement. I'm getting improvement from the increased training. And I'm getting an improvement from losing the weight. And it got into mid-March. And this is bizarre. I did the Wilmsow Half Marathon and I ran 71.37. And I couldn't believe it. I was so happy with that run. Ben did Gosport Half Marathon. Because we were, again, we were going to run the Half Marathon together at London. Ben did the Gosport Half Marathon the day before in exactly the same time, 71.37. So 24 hours apart, we both ran exactly the same time. And you'd close that gap to your son, like from, from the marathon the previous year, like in terms of performance, like. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. I, but I'd lost so much weight. I'd lost eight kilograms in the last few months to get me to that. Uh, and I always, I always say now, if anybody says, oh, what's the best way to, what kind, what kind of training can I do to improve? I always say, well, you've got to be really honest with yourself. No amount of training is going to make you improve than losing weight. But you've got to be brutally honest with yourself. And I'm not talking for people that are, you know, fud runners. You know, the, the, the true backbone of running in the country is not people competing, trying to win a particular race. It's, it's those people that run for the sheer enjoyment of, of running. I'd gone beyond that stage where I was now running to, to win. What I'm saying is if you want to win and do well for yourself, take a long look at yourself. And if you can lose weight, lose weight because that is going to make you improve as a runner more than any kind of training mm. but when you combine the two you increase your training and you lose your weight that's when you can sort of start getting the best out of yourself but it's a really difficult thing to do and not everybody can do it 
I and was just lucky in that I was in the right place. I was in the right mental zone at the time to give it a go. And that mental zone that was allowing you to have that focus, was that your sort of laser sight? Was that on winning that over yep. the, the over 50s at London Marathon? Yep. That was the thing that whenever your, your belly would rumble or you didn't like the prospect yep. of a long run, it was that that you zeroed in on to sort of push you through when you were training. Yeah, yeah. when I did my long runs, every time I did a long run, I wouldn't run with music. I never run with music. I would always think. I would think, right, say I did my favourite 10-mile run. I would picture myself in that 10-mile run of the last 10 miles of the London Marathon. So I'm thinking, right, I've got I've got six miles to go in my run. Now I would be at, you know, the 20-mile mark at London. So I'd know where that 20-mile I would be. I would mentally think where I was in the race. And then when it came to the marathon, I would do the same thing. So when I got to 16 miles in the marathon, I would think, right, think of my favourite 10 mile run now. And I'm just going to run that last 10 miles on my favourite course at home. There were those favourite country lanes that we talked about earlier. And I would visualise where I was and I would get through the last 10 miles of a marathon like that. Amazing. But yeah, that was good days, 2015. Uh, so talk us through the days. race then. Talk us through talk us through 2015. Like, I mean, so you'd done all that amazing training. You'd you'd lost that weight. You'd done that incredible yep. performance in the half marathon as a sort of measure of your fitness leading into it. So talk us through race day then, 2015. Yeah, well, yeah, me and Ben went down to start on, on, on Greenwich Park and uh, with one of his other mates as well. We, but we jumped on the we jumped on the tube and just bit Greenwich Park. We went into the championship um, enclosure there. We got ready. We both stood on the start line together. Ben had had a really bad last month. He had a hip problem. He hadn't really trained for a month, and he really didn't know how his race was going to go. So we both decided. Well, I knew what pace I wanted to run at. He said, right, we'll kind of run, we'll run together for the first six miles and see how we are. Now, it was the day when Paula Radcliffe ran her last London marathon, if you understand. It was, it was all over the newspaper. Anyway, we stood on the start line. Paula's just in front of us there. The gun went. Paula tore off. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm thinking, oh, no, have I got this wrong? Because I'm looking at my arch. Because Paula was saying she wanted to run a certain amount of time, a certain time. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I want to run faster than what Paula says she's going to run. But within a mile, she's miles away in front of me. And I'm thinking, have I got this wrong? And I'm looking at me watch thinking, no, my pace is right here. Anyway, over the next three miles, we could see Paula and the gap was coming clear, uh, closer and closer. She had a huge amount of people around her, a huge amount of people. I'm running with Ben at the side. So we're both sort of, you know, we're talking. It's, this is not a big deal at this time. We're running at sort of 542 mile pace. So we're both quite comfortable at this pace. We get to Cutty Sark and we catch Paula up and the noise was just so, so loud. So to escape the noise, I said to Ben, I've got to speed up and get past her just to get away from this crowd of people. So I just put a little kick in for half a mile so I could get away from the crowd of people that Paula was running with. Got to seven miles and I looked around, didn't see Ben. And I thought, oh no, where is he? Is he all right? I thought, is his hip giving a problem? Put it out of my mind. And then at 10 miles, I was still feeling great. At 10 miles, I heard this, Dad. And I looked around and there's Ben right at my side. And that was great. Our spirits soared there. So we ran together then. And as we approached Tower Bridge, we were coming over Tower Bridge. There was a drink station to the right. I said to Ben, get a bottle of water. So Ben veered over. He got this bottle of water. He had a mouthful out of it. He just threw this bottle up in the air. And, we just, and I just saw it came down and it just landed in my hand. 
and I just had a drink of it like that. <laughs> and the crowd seen this, and it was it was crazy. Everyone started cheering. It was like something we rehearsed. It, it wasn't. It was like a juggling act. We just threw the bottle of water up in there, and I just caught it perfectly around, drank it. Anyway, we ran over Tower Bridge. We ran to 13 miles together. Went through 13 miles in 76 minutes. 75:30. Went through half marathon in 75:30. I still felt great. And all of a sudden, Ben just said to me, he said, I'm off. And he just accelerated away. I didn't want to speed up at that time. Even though I felt all right, I didn't want to speed up at that time. Got to 16 miles. And that's when it came. I came to the thought, right, at 16 miles, I've just got 10 miles to go. I thought about my favourite 10 mile run around my favourite country lanes around the corner. And I thought, right, I am now at that point in my favourite run. I've got 10 miles to go. And I envisaged that run all the way around until we got to the Tower of London. And I thought, right, I've really just got four miles to go. And I still felt really good. I was getting tired. Don't get me wrong. I was getting tired. and remained really focused for that four miles. Got to Big Ben. And I thought, my legs still feel okay here. And I, I remember going around Big Ben. And I accelerated down there. And I didn't know whether my legs were going to say, you're not doing that. But anyway, my legs responded really well. And they let me accelerate. And I ran... I think my fastest mile of the race and about 5.30 for my last mile of that um, of that race. And when we turned the corner at Buckingham Palace and I saw the clock, because don't get me wrong, after two and a half, two and a half hours of running, your brain doesn't really work that well. You, you, your watch doesn't mean a great deal to you. The splits on the clocks are all the mile markers. After 16 miles, they don't mean anything to you. you you're just running by then. And, you know, you can't comprehend what this time says. I can't anyway, because I'm, you know, my brain's somewhere else. I'm tired. I'm just trying to save as much energy, just trying to focus. And when I turned at Big Ben and I seen the clock above the stand, the clock said something like um, 2.31.20. Probably got 200 metres to go then. So I'm thinking 2.31.20, about 200 metres to go. I'm thinking, don't get me wrong, I was smiling to myself because I thought, I can't believe how fast I've run here. And I remember sort of trying to speed up and see the clock and I can see the clock. And um, yeah, just got under the clock in sort of two hours, 31 minutes, 56 seconds. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yes. Incredible. Like, and so, and so you'd overtaken Paula Radcliffe in the process of that as well then? Yeah, I think Paula did two hours, 36 or something like that. Insane. And ben I had done two hours, 30 and nine. So he was just nine seconds short of breaking um, two hours, 30. So again, we'd broke that world record thing. We'd, we'd run... Um, yeah, good days. Good so days. your previous, so I see now. So your previous uh, world, you you broken your own previous world record of fastest yeah. father son time for for a marathon. Yeah. But I we went out to do it this time. That's incredible. I mean, like the what was that feeling like once you crossed the line and realised that all of that sacrifice and all of that weight loss and all of that dedication from for, for the past sort of four or five months had, had worked like you you must have been elated yeah yeah even now <laughs> just thinking about it now i kind of I'm, 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 i can feel myself choking up thinking about it now because to share that moment with with your son it's mm. um well i suppose you've got to be a parent to to appreciate it it, it quite overwhelming yeah yeah i thought i've got this memory now for the rest of my life yeah and I, that, I, I actually remember thinking that um yeah it's quite overwhelming yeah make, i make, suppose yeah. you must have thought back to 
him being a young lad asking you what times did you do your 400 meters in dad you know and you starting to train him and him being the inspiration for you to rediscover your love of running again and to take that and then push it to the nth degree you know and then coming into your 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 50th year and to see how far you could push it to then not only put in an amazing time but then break again the world record that both you and your son had done a couple of years previous for for the uh, joint uh, father son marathon like incredible so you'd had that so what what was the next thing for you then what was the next kind of did you have another goal or were you like look i'm just going to enjoy this moment and have a bit of bit of time off and just kind of celebrate this incredible achievement well no uh, well what what i've done for the previous the previous few years after I've done marathon for like the last three years. I'd always gone on holiday the following day. Again, this was going to be no exception. I, had, I was going to America the next day with me girlfriend at the time. Well, the current girlfriend, I should say. <laughs> um, we, we flew to California the next day, went on a, a road trip around California and Grand Canyon and all kinds of things. And, and while I was there, I got quite a bit of attention off um, running magazines in the UK, doing a couple of um, interviews and things like that. And while I was there, I thought, I want to go for a run. I really want to go for a run. I'd had seven days off. I thought, I want to go for a run. So I did a bit of a run, did a run through the Death Valley, did a run through the Grand Canyon, did a run in Las Vegas. And while I was there, I thought, it's a big, there's a big local 5K uh, at the end of May. I thought, I could run that and I could really do a really good time in that. So I thought, I'm going to go for that. So I did a couple of... Um, mile sessions while I was there in California flew home and I had like two weeks preparation for this 5k race bear in mind I was still buzzing from the marathon I was absolutely still buzzing thought it was indestructible however I stepped on the track and did uh, I wanted to do a, a track workout now bear in mind I've been training for 26 mile run all of a sudden I was now training for a three mile run so I had to the pace of the training sessions it was no good running you know training for a 540 mile pace I, want, I wanted to run sort of five minute mile pace for a 5k so I uh, attempted to do a session a standard session again which I've always done with, with six by 800 meters with two minutes recovery now when I was a young man I could do this session so two minutes 10 seconds per rep now as an older chap I was looking at sort of two hours 24 two hours 25 did the first three or four reps uh, two minutes 24 and on my fifth rep my hamstring just sort of popped on me. Um, and that put paid to maybe two or three months after that, just simply because I'd run the marathon and I'd tried to run too fast, too soon after the marathon. So that that slowed me down an awful lot. But again, mm. it gave me time to focus on what I wanted to do. And I, it, it, you know, I thought, right, I'm just going to carry on this now. Started experimenting with myself, doing more and more training. Uh, so I thought, Right, I've done this. I want to go to another level now, and I, I then set out a plan to try and do that. And so, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Like I, I not, not on the same scale, but it is a good injury is a real good stimulus for reflection and for for discovering new paths. I, I did the uh, the virtual uh, London on the fourth, and then was back at the track on the Tuesday doing fifteen four hundred meter repeats. And I've, I've now just discovered that I've torn um, a, a muscle in my adductor and the inside of my leg, just just purely from from that, from going from one discipline yeah. to another. But it has allowed 
me to really reflect and focus on uh, different things like particularly strength work and, and and stuff like that but it is fascinating to see that pivot happen when it comes from injury so you said about experimentation what were yeah. the things that you started to experiment with following on from that injury what did you start to explore off the back of that i need to up my mileage um that was the main thing i still stuck to the same principles as what i'd always done long reps easy running shorter reps race and then long run if you understand right i always treated me long run as a workout not just oh it's just an easy long run I've, I've never treated me long run like that. I have always treated me long run as um, as a proper workout. So I would I would try and make sure I have an easy day before it and an easy day afterwards because my long run was, is always my key hard session of the week, whether that's 20 miles, at, I don't know, 6.20, 6.30 mile in, that's a long run. And I would always run it. Um, say I wanted to run 20 miles at 6.30, I would always make sure my first mile was it was within sort of 20 seconds of 6.30. So if I did 6.50 for the first mile, that means I had to run the next 90 miles at 6.29 pace to get me overall. So I would always make sure I was within 20 seconds of my first mile. Mm. So I've always done my, hard, my long runs quite hard. Um, again, a couple of days off after that, and then I'd do a hard workout on the track. Always love my track. One of my favourite sessions was... Um, six by a mile with a minute recovery. Again, they would be my long reps, another couple of easy days running, and then I would do something like eight or 10 by half a mile with a minute recovery. Really, really basic, simple sessions like that. And just the consistency of doing those sessions month after month with your long runs backed up by miles and miles and miles of steady running and being good with your diet just consistency over months. They're the things that bring you the rewards. I don't. I really don't think there's a there's a magic bullet now for training. People say, "What is it? You know, what's these magic sessions?" There are no magic sessions. You know, it's just consistency over a number of months that brings you the, the rewards. With that consistency, becomes your mental focus and it gives you the confidence because you know you've trained for all these months. You know you can attack a race. You know you're not going to break down. You know you know you can hang on and hang on. And that gives you motivation to do it. And the more you do it, the more you want to do it. That's mm. what I found anyway. So then, so 2015, phenomenal performance. You've gone away. I, lo I love the fact that you pre-booked a holiday for the day immediately after the marathon. I like. Yeah. I, I think that's a quality thing to do. Just have that in the back of your mind that knowing as soon as you cross that finish line, the next day yeah. you're at the airport getting the hell out of there I know that's great so yeah. 2015 so when was your next when was your next marathon then when was your next time back at london next time back at london it wasn't 2016 i was injured i got shin splints the following year because mm. it was i was so um i was i really enjoyed 2015 so much so i really did up my game again so i, I increased my training and in the march of 2016 i developed shin splints in my right shin again it was wasn't a great thing that uh, so I didn't run the marathon that year um, but I'd come on an awful lot I was I was running some once my shin splints subsided I did some really good uh, I had some good races in 2016 I ran on under 33 minutes for the first time bear in mind I was sort of 
I was almost 52 years of age at this time, and around 32, 50, 54 or 55, 10K. So I was really, so I'd made good progress. Yeah. I knew I was in better shape than the previous year because what, I, what I'd started to do was, obviously you're getting a bit older. As you're getting a bit older, your body starts to, it's not not good as a previous year. It can't be. That's nature. That's the process of getting old. So to combat that, I would always make sure I trained a little bit harder than the year before to try and negate that that tailing off of performance with age. So each year I would train a little bit harder than the year before to try and improve my performance or try and stay at that level. Mm. And that's gained momentum for the last maybe six or seven years. I've trained harder in the last six or seven years than I ever did when I, when I was younger. But yeah, this 2016, 2017, I was in, I was in really, really good shape. Month before the marathon again, around the Wilmslow Half Marathon, horrendous conditions, 30 mile an hour winds, and um, it really was tough conditions. And I had a really good run. I think I ran just outside 73 minutes in 30 mile an hour winds. And it was a great run. And in the last mile, I put my foot down um, a pothole in the middle of the road. Didn't affect me at all during the race, but I couldn't walk for days after the race. My me, me ankle swelled up and I really, really struggled with that. I had three weeks off after that. So bear in mind, I got running again two weeks before the marathon. And I still thought, well, I'm in good shape here. I could see me steady. I couldn't do any sessions or anything. There was no easing off because I hadn't run for the sort of three weeks after that half marathon. I thought, no, I'm going to go to London. I think I can still run well. And I was warming up for the race. And I did two strides for the marathon. Again, just to get me up to that race pace. Mm. You know, I didn't want to just start on the, you can't, I, I wouldn't want to just stand on the start line of the marathon without warming up. So I'd just do like a five-minute jog at two strides to get me up to race pace, which was going to be 5.40, 5.45 miling. And on my second stride, I felt my ankle go again. This exactly the same spot. And I thought, oh, no. So I've got literally five minutes to go before the marathon. And I'm thinking, I'm in trouble here. The gun went. And as soon as the gun went for the race, I was in pain. And it was... Oh, no. It was... It wasn't a great pain. I thought, well, let's just see how it goes. Get to 10K. Got to 10K. I was, I was running quite well. My pace was still quite good. I seen Ben. Ben come to watch. He was jumping on the tube and going down. From what, and he shouted, go on, Dad. I remember looking at him and shaking my head. And uh, he obviously didn't know what I meant because mm. he had no idea that my ankle had gone a few minutes before the start of the race. Got to half marathon again. And it was really, really starting to hurt. But I, I, got, I got through 13 miles in just outside 76 minutes. So I was running really well, but this pain was developing more and more and more. By 18 miles, I was starting to feel sick with the pain. By 20 miles, I thought, I really, really should stop here now because I, I knew I was doing myself some serious damage. Anyway, last last six miles was just, they weren't they weren't great. It was, it was just an awful lot of pain. Um, I virtually walked the last mile and uh, I ran to 241, which, when I look back now, is, is, is a really good run because I've been, it's incredible. You know, the, last, the last sort of eight miles were probably the hardest things I've ever had to do. Just the, the physical pain from an injury, that wasn't a great thing. That with was, those, that, those last eight miles, where did you go mentally to get you through those last eight miles? Did you go, did you visualize those same country roads again, or did you have to yeah. go to a different place? Where, where were you yeah, going with your that. mind? Yeah, I really closed off there. I remember. I didn't. I didn't hear the crowd at all, because I, I, I have friends afterwards. Said, I'd give you a shout at twenty-two miles, and she said, "You looked at me." 
I said, I didn't see you. He said, but you looked at me. Didn't see anybody, didn't hear anything. I was just in a, <laughs> I was in a world of pain, really. Wasn't very nice. So, yeah, just took myself off somewhere, somewhere else just to try and get through it and get to the end of the race. Wasn't, wasn't a nice day, that. Took me a long mm. time to go over that injury. What was the recovery process from that? How long did it take you? It, it, well, again, went on holiday to Dubai the following day. And, um, but eventually came back and I ran a really good, um, I ran a really good few 5Ks, I think, that year. Was that 2017? It was 2017. What did I do in 2017? Yeah, I ran a, I ran a 15.51 5K and a 15.53 5K um, in, in the July and the August of that year. I was really, really pleased with them. That's incredible. Yeah, so that... I was 50, 53 at this time. When you're, because you've, you've had shin splints and you've had your ankles and stuff like that. So when you are dealing with your injury, do you completely down tools or do you, is there another thing that you move into? Because I know you, you you said how much you enjoy and are passionate about weight training. Is yep. is that what you focus on when you're, when you've been injured in the past or do you do other stuff as well to, to maintain that fitness so that you're able to, to come back and still knock out these amazing 5k times within the same year? Well, I, I always, I've always maintained my gym work apart from maybe the last two or three months before a marathon I stop all gym work two or three months before a marathon because I'm training so hard running wise and I'm, and I'm dieting that something's got to give mm. so I don't weight train don't go to the gym in those last two or three months before a marathon it's all focused on running and on that marathon day but as soon as the marathon's gone over the way out of the way I go straight back to the gym and I'm straight back in the gym once I'm injured and I can't run, I then go on the cross trainer and I treat the cross trainer as I would me running training. So I would do steady. So I'd do an hour, just an hour on the cross trainer. That would be a session. The next session, I would then do long reps in the same way I would do long reps when I was running. I would then have another easy day of maybe just doing another hour steady. Then the next day, I would do again short reps. So my long reps on a cross trainer would be uh, 1Ks. So I'd perhaps do 10 by 1K with a 30 second recovery. So when I say a 30 second recovery, I would just stop the effort. I would just stop, go through the motions for 30 seconds mm. until it was time to go. And then I'd go again. So mm. I'd do 10 of those with a minute. The same when it came to five, the 500 meters, the shorter reps, I would maybe do 16 or 18, again with a 30 second recovery. Mm. So that would maintain my fitness until I was able to run again. No, a lot of time I think to myself, well, instead of running twice a day, maybe I should maintain this going to the gym and doing the, the cross training thing. At the time, I was still working in the fire service and there's only a certain amount of time in the day that you can dedicate to train, you know, on top of a full time job. Someone's got to give. So, no, I, if I was if it was a full time athlete, I would probably have gone on the cross trainer as a separate workout to save my legs and then done my running session later on in the day if that makes sense. Mm. But, you know, as running to me has always been, it's just a hobby. There's no money to be made. Even, even when you, you're the first place in the Vet 50 at London Marathon, you don't win any money. You don't get, you don't get a voucher for a pair of trainers. You know, you don't get anything. Mm. You, get, you get a medal, you get a nice medal. But that's it, there's no money. You know, occasionally you win a, a voucher. For uh, buy a pair of shoes, you know, a race if you if you do well in your age group in a race. But like I said, there's no money to be made in it. 
and and so it's clearly and clearly for you it's it's the love of the sport that has yep. kept you yeah. coming back and kept you just amping up your training year after year pushing it further and further because you also experimented with uh, like a, a warm weather block of training as well in the lead up to was it the 2018 or the 2019 london marathon you well, sort of you went and did some warm weather training i did but to, let's go back to 2017 i yeah. just ran i ran the cup i ran a couple of good 5ks and yeah. then come to september and i always start my marathon training in september by doing a block of just running just miles and miles and miles of running mm. up until christmas and in november i was out running again down with favorite country lanes which you keep talking about and i just put my foot down and my knee just cracked as i put my foot oh. down and it was five miles from home it was freezing cold it was raining i had to get home and it must have took me it, it took me a good two or three hours to get home in the rain and the cold turns out i then had a mri scan and i'd cracked my kneecap small crack in the base of my kneecap that wasn't a great thing however within maybe 10 or 12 days um specialist said because obviously i had to go sick from work with this specialist said well if you want to go if you can cross train cross train so that then was a big green light for me um i then sort of four weeks on the cross trainer i couldn't walk properly but i could cross train on an elliptical trainer mm. and that kept me really 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 fit and sort of by january the 1st I was able to run again, just doing a mile in the morning and a mile in the evening. Mm. By the end, by the end of that week, I, I was, you know, I was up to three mile in the morning, three mile in the afternoon, and within a few months, I was getting really, 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 really fast again. That was the lead up to 2018, yeah. The 2018. That's, that's the lead up to 2018, yeah. And that's when Ben and I we did the London Landmarks Half Marathon, and uh, we had another great day there. It, that was something completely out of the blue. It was Ben's idea. He says, why don't we have a go at this half marathon in London? It's a new half marathon, London Landmarks. Why don't we try and break the uh, the record for the fastest half marathon by father and son? All right, let's, let's, let's give that one a go then. Now, bear in mind, I'd been injured with that kneecap um, injury previously. But in the last few weeks, in the, in the couple of weeks before that half marathon, it started to click for me again. I'd maintained all my fitness through doing the cross training. I'd started running again. My long runs were coming on. I started to do one or two sessions, which were good, really positive sessions. And I started to get quite confident that I could run quite well. So, yeah, we went and did the London Landmarks half marathon. Half marathon. There's over 10,000 runners in it. It was massive. Massive started on Pall Mall, but more importantly for me at the time, the last four miles again were down the embankment. So the last four miles were virtually the same as the London Marathon. So I used that as again as mental preparation of what was what was going to happen in in the London Marathon. Mm. So yeah, we did the London the London Landmarks Half Marathon, ten thousand runners in it. Ben won in seventy fifty, I think he did, and I was second in seventy three. Uh, 73.50 so I was three minutes behind Ben wow. and yeah so then we yeah we broke the um, the Guinness World Record for the fastest half marathon by parent and son in that race and that was massive we got interviewed on the line by the from Ramsey that's on Blue Peter and he did all the yeah, interviews yeah. it was just amazing and the Chelsea pensioners was there and it was great that was a really really great day and to celebrate that we went back to Wimbledon to Ben's flat and then we went out another 10 miles that, that was our celebration. So within two, within two hours of finishing that race, we went back to Wimbledon because by then I'm focused on London in, yeah. in four or five weeks' time. And it was important for me to get another run in that day. Mm. 
because I, I was learning all the time. These hard races, you've got to you've got to work out what's going on in your body in a marathon, and to just so you've got to put your body under that kind of stress in training. Mm. So to me, to go and run a half marathon in the morning and then go out a few hours later, and I always thought it was important not to have any any drinks or anything in between that two period. So I could run my second run. So my body was already tired. It was dehydrated. To me, it was part of the training process of preparing my body for the last 10 miles of a marathon when my body would be tired, when it would be dehydrated. Much easier to do that in training than to suddenly find out in a marathon that my body wouldn't be able to cope mm. with it. So I always practiced in training what it was going to be like in the marathon. So I'd deplete my body, go and do the hard training just to make sure that my body could cope in a marathon. And, and with Again, that, I was always tweaking, always trying to yeah. find different ways of doing things. With that tweaking and with and with that experimentation, like were there ever moments where you we got it wrong? Because I imagine you know you've yeah you've run the landmarks, yeah. you've put in an amazing performance, you're buzzing off all that adrenaline, but you know you're not taking on any fluids or any sort of fuel. And then to, like, have there ever been moments where you've where it's gone wrong, like and you've really sort of misjudged it yeah. and, you've, and stuff? Well, it didn't do. I'm not saying it went wrong, but there was times when I've, I've gone out for a long run and I've tried to sort of what, what they call bonk when you, yeah. your body runs out of energy. So I've, I've purposefully done that so I know what it feels like. And I remember going out for a 22-mile run once. and At 20 miles, I felt great. Bear in mind, I got up, this was in the morning. I had no breakfast, no drinks, nothing like that. So I had no coffee, nothing to eat from the previous day, just to see what it would feel like bonking. And I remember getting to 20 miles and I thought, all right, it was 6.30 mile. And, and then all of a sudden, it was like it was like turning a switch. All of a sudden, my body was depleting. There was nothing left in it. And within 100 metres, I had to stop and walk. Um, so I did but I did that as an experiment just to see what it was like so you can see how it would feel. Mm. Um, because obviously, on race day, I would, uh, I would drink properly and I would hydrate and I would take a, two gels. But I wanted to see what the signs was in my body if it was going to bonk. So I have done that on purpose just to, I'm not saying it's a great thing that you should do and I wouldn't recommend anybody doing it, but I wanted to know myself, I, you know, I was my own experiment. Yeah. You understand and, what I mean. And yeah. And leave no, leave nothing to chance on race day. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. that mantra of nothing new on race day, take that to the nth degree and like let the experience of bonking or running out of glycogen not be a new experience for you. So you can understand, yeah. oh, I know what this is. I know what's happening. I know yeah, how to, exactly. to deal with it, to deal with it mentally. Exactly. So yeah. you're carrying, so you've done the, you did the landmarks, break that world record with, with your son, Ben, and then you're moving on to, so how was, how was 2018 then? How was the, the London marathon in 2018 for you? 2018 was a, it was probably the best race I've ever done in the marathon because it was, it was freezing cold in the lead up to it. All, all March was freezing cold. April, the start of April was freezing cold. And all of a sudden it came to three days before race day and a heat wave suddenly hit London. And it was all of a sudden we'd gone from freezing conditions, running in gloves, running in a bob hat, running in a sweatshirt, running in tights, to all of a sudden it was 25 degrees. Mm. And it was like, oh my God, what's going to happen here? So anyway, yeah, we lined up on the start on the start of the race, and I remember it was just so hot. And I remember pouring a bottle of water over me just a few minutes before the start of the race, and then the gun went, and we were off. And after three or four miles, I thought, God, this is hard work. Every time I went past the war station, I grabbed a bottle, drank as much as I could, poured the rest over my head, and for the first, from sort of um, maybe five to 
five to 12 miles, I thought, this is just so difficult because I was, I was so hot. I felt awful. Now, I always expect to feel I have a bad patch in a marathon, but not usually that early on in the race. But I kept telling myself, I'm going to come out of this. I'll be all right. I'll come out of it. I will be all right. And there's a big turn just before you turn onto Tower Bridge. It's a big turn to the right and you go up Tower Bridge. Tower, Hill, Tower Bridge is quite a steep hill when you're running it. But when you're trying to run it at pace, it is. And anyway, I turned on Tower Bridge and all of a sudden, my legs felt light again and I felt good. And I remember thinking, thank goodness for that, I'm going to be all right. And within, again, within a few seconds, I got butterflies in my stomach. And I started smiling to myself because I knew I was going to be all right. I knew I'd had my bad patch. And um, even though it was 25 degrees, I knew I was going to be all right. And I got to halfway in um, 76.29. Another bottle, another bottle of water over my head again. And then I just started really, really pressing on because I knew I was going to survive. I knew I was going to be able to do it. And uh, yeah, I powered on that day, and that that was really tough. The, the four miles along the embankment along the river were incredibly difficult, and my legs my legs were starting to cramp up. But I could see there's a runner in front, there's an old a, a marathon runner in front, Martin Fizz, with the same age basically. Now Martin Fizz was the world marathon champion in the early nineties from Spain, and I could see Martin in front of me, and I could see I was closing on him. So that then gave me the confidence. Well, it made me dig deeper than I ever did before because I wanted to beat Martin. I wanted to be the first M50 in the race. And I got Mar I got Martin at about a mile and a half to go. And um, again, it was it was so difficult. And again, going then down Birdcage Walk in the last so you know, going towards the palace in the last bit then, that was tough. That was really tough. But again, when I, when I crossed the finishing line in two hours 36, for me to run two hours 36 at 54 years of age, I thought I am never going to better that time, that, that performance, you know, as long as I live. And I, I don't think I don't think I will, because it, it, it was so hot that day just to survive that day and run 236. I, I remember that, that year very, don't very think better dearly. for me than that. It was, um, I mean, still, 236 is an incredible time. And I do, I re remember that year. I wasn't racing it, but I went to watch and me and my friend went to mile 22. Purely, I mean, the macabre side of me purely knew that that would be the moment where people would, if they'd made it that far, would really be suffering in that heat. And it was, it really took a lot of people by surprise, that heat. And people were in a really, really bad way because in this country you just don't have any experience of of training in those kind of conditions really especially because it's a, a spring marathon you do all the bulk of your training during the winter it exactly. was a really really tough tough race for a lot of people and was was that then because it was it was after 2018 that you that was when you started doing your warm weather training and was that the catalyst then? Yeah. the fact that you'd run that race and, and in those temperatures you didn't want to have that experience again you wanted to be well versed in running in, in hotter temperatures not really no it was nothing to do with that the, do, do you know what it was that I, I was getting older obviously getting older each year and I thought I want to have one more crack of throwing everything at trying to break 230 I thought you know I've got one more year at this and then the, the, the chances are getting slimmer and slimmer as the years go by. 
I'd already bonded with a lad, a coach, one of the top coaches, in not just in the country, but in the world of Andy Hobdo. Andy and I are the same age. As I got talking to Andy, um, we both realised that we'd run in the same races when we were 12 and 13 years of age. So I, I, we talked earlier on about how I'd won the um, inter-counties under-13s. Now, when I looked on the results sheets there, it's got my name was at the top in first place. And I looked down and it was like 33rd place, Andy Hobdell. And I was like, so I could rib him over that. <laughs> so we had a bit of fun over that. We, we bonded a lot over that because we were the same age. Whereas Andy had progressed into being one of the top coaches in the world. He'd had um, runners competing in the last three Olympics. So I thought, right, I've got one more go here at um, having to go at a really good marathon. I'm going to ask Andy to give me advice and um, plan out my training and see what I really could do. So from September to December, I'd, I'd already talked to Andy in August about this. Would he do this for me? Yeah, he really, Andy's a very busy man. He's a, he's a barrister and he's also a coach to some of the top runners in the world. So his time is very precious. So I didn't really need to tell him what I needed to do from September to December. It was a case of banging in a load of base mileage, running 100 miles a week, week after week, month after month. I didn't need to be told what to do there, just get that work done. The specialist work would come in then in January where Andy would direct everything. As it turned out, I retired from work after 30 years on uh, Christmas Day 2019, which then gave me four months freedom where I could go and, if you like, be a full-time runner for those four months. So I was going to throw everything into that. So yeah, I uh, retired from work train started going and then I thought right I'm going to go to Mallorca for for, a, for six or seven weeks training on my own which is what I did I booked a um, private apartment flew out there on my own at the start of February I had a car at the airport made my way to where I was going drove around for a couple of days to find um, training routes which I did began my diet and I lived a really spartan existence until sort of April 1st when I came home but I got myself into such good, good shape. Um, on my final day before I came home, Andy set, Andy set me out one last long run to do before I started easing down, before I started the taper. And that was 24 miles at 6, 10 miling. Now it's beginning to warm up in Mallorca by April the 1st. March the 30th, I think it was, the actual day when I did my run. So I had to get up at, I thought I'd get, better get this run done early in the morning before the sun comes up. But I'd got myself into a routine of doing my hard sessions in the morning before the sun came up. So, yeah, I was up at six o'clock in the morning because I was treating it as a race. I had some breakfast. I had to walk around. I think I started the run at um, 6.45 in the morning. Yeah, and I went straight into me, 6.10 miles, and I managed to do 24 miles at 6.10 pace, which to me was the best long run I've ever done, really. Felt fantastic. Felt brilliant. Uh, next day, came home on the plane. Still felt great for a good few days after that. And uh, I'd had a, I had maybe three or four key sessions to do. All my hard work had been done. I had three or four key sessions to do just to bring me to race. And each session, I became more tired. I was falling asleep at home. I would go for a run. I would fall asleep straight after the run. And I thought, oh, oh my God, what's going on to me? It, was all good. it all started to go very wrong for me. Um, but Andy was saying, no, it's all right. You know, you've done all this work. Even if you don't run another step now, you'll still be in great condition. And in the back of my head, I thought, I won't. I won't. I'm really struggling here. Went to get some blood tests done just to make sure it was all right. The blood test came back. Yeah, you're fine. There's nothing up. Because when you get a bit older, as soon as things start to go wrong, you start to 
put two and two together and you, you get 10, you start to think there's more going on than what it is. You start thinking, mm. God, I, I hope I've not done something to myself. Anyways, it was about a week before the marathon. It was like, this day, I need to know if I can run in seven days' time. I thought, I'm just going to do 10 miles at six-minute miling. Now, normally, I could eat that. That would be nothing. And I got to three miles. I had to stop. I had to sort of sit down on the side of the road. And then I, 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 that was it. Then I knew, I knew that that year was over for me. Um, I had to walk back to me to my car. And, yeah, that was it. That, that was a pretty low time for me. Yeah, I was. What I had what good... what had happened then? What 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 was it that had completely debilitated your training? I just think I, I just think I picked up a virus, probably as a result of me, me weight went down to under seventy kilograms. So it's the lightest I'd ever been. I hadn't been eating properly. I'd just trained really hard. Combination of all those things, and I just think I probably picked up a bug as well. Mm. And um, well, I had to have, I had six months of inactivity. Really, I couldn't do anything. I had to stay in bed. <laughs> it was quite a low time, that. Quite a low time. But I wow. did come out of it. I and did what come was, out of it in the What end. was that journey coming out of it like for you then? So you took your time to fully recover, get your health back in order, and then how did I, you... I didn't, I didn't take my time on purpose. I took my time because I had no, no alternative. It, right. it, it was a slow process. I remember the first time I went for a run. At the time, I felt so bad and I felt so ill and so tired, so depleted, so empty that I didn't think I'd ever run again. And I really, I really believed that at the time. I told, you know, I told my friends, I'm not running again. I've retired. I'm not doing anymore. And they all said, you'll be back. You'll be back. I said, I won't. I said, that's it. I've, I've had enough now. And then maybe sort of in, in at the end of August. So we're, we're talking a good, good few months here. I, I started to go for a run. And it was so, so hard. And I remember trying to run five miles as hard as I could, and I couldn't even run at seven-minute miling. It was so, so tough. But things started to pick up a little bit and pick up a little bit until eventually, you know, I started feeling, do you know what, I feel all right. I'll start to do a couple of sessions. Nothing serious. These were just sessions. And then it got to sort of December-ish, and I thought, well, I'm 55 in a couple of, you know, 55 in April, London Marathon, Let's have another go and see if I can win the 55, age 55 age group at London. I didn't think I'd really be able to do it, but I thought, let's give it a go. Four months is a long time. You know, from Christmas to April, it's a long time. My training started going really well. I started to bang in the 100 mile a weeks and everything started to come together. And all of a sudden it got to March and I started feeling really good. My sessions were good. Probably not as good as what I'd ever done. But, but they were really good, they were positive. Um, and then the, the virus hit the country and then that got cancelled and um, everything then got put on hold, which kind of ruined the rest of 2020 for everybody, not just me. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that put paid to that little bit of a campaign. So But I, I quickly changed focus then. I thought, right, I need another goal here now. I've done all that training from base training from September October, you know, and then January I sat to up my training. I suddenly thought to myself, I've I've run a good sort of a six or seven months here of, of training. I've probably been doing average 80 miles a week. A lot of it was just slow, easy running. But I thought, I wonder if I can just continue this here now and, and get 12 months of running, averaging 10 miles a day. Mm. So that immediately then became a goal. I thought, right, I need to get to September and then that will then be 12 months. So I just plodded on really training. Picked up a couple of races. I ran, I ran a 
I ran a 5K in 1629, which I was a little bit disappointed with because some of my training sessions before had been really good and they indicated to me that I'd run quite a bit quicker than that. But I messed up the pacing in that race. It was it was a race where I know the core and it's quite a fast opening mile, but the, the second mile is quite slow because it's uphill. So in that race, I, um, I decided to go off quite slowly, but then run the second mile really fast up the hill. Mm. And what I did is I ran the second mile too fast. And in the last mile, I was gone. Um, but I just hang on. I hung on to 1629, which wasn't bad, really. I turned 55. So, yeah, it was all right with that. I was it, a little bit disappointed. But, but yeah, that was that. And then the emails then started to come through to say that London had um, gone to August, uh, October, beg your pardon. So I thought, OK, let's, let's go for that. So carried on training for that. And then all of a sudden, again, that got cancelled. And then I then got an email from London Marathon to say, because your performance is outside the two-year qualifying period. So to attend, uh, to um, run in the championship race at London, you need to run either under two hours, 45 minutes for a full marathon or under 75 minutes for a half marathon within two years of the date of the race. Now, I'd had six months off. I'd not run a marathon since 2018, which was my good one in the, in the warm weather. So I no longer had, a, had an entry then for London Marathon. So for, for next year's event now, I, I can't run it now because uh, I've not got a qualifying entry. Mm. And funnily enough, after it was only like last week, I actually got the money um, back into my bank account from London Marathon. <sighs> so, yeah. So, so that was like, oh, bloody hell. So, yeah, I won't be running London next year because I don't qualify for the race. So, here we are. We're up, we're up to date now. And, uh, yeah, let's see what happens in the future. I mean, you strike me as someone who is constantly just giving yourself new goals and new yeah. new focuses in order to have something to sort of move towards. Like, And yeah. so, obviously, yeah, London might not be on the cards, but is there is there other things that you're turning your attention to? Cause I know we, we, I'm quite curious. We touched on it earlier about this, this race around these country roads that you've done a lot of your training on. Is that, is that yeah. one of your new goals now? Is this what, what t- tell me a bit about this race. My oldest son, Ben, when he was at university at Loughborough university, he qualified as an accountant. He left university and um, he started working for Unilever in London. He worked really long hours. He'd had enough of it after a couple of years, and he said, I'm going to start my own events company with his uh, friend from university, Matt Wood. And they, both of them started a company called Run Through. So Ben left his job, Matt left his job. They joined partnerships. They created this, com- this company in, in London called Run Through. They organise lots of races now in the rural parks in London. Run Through has become a bigger enterprise, and we started to do, Ben started to put races on up north. He said, I want to do a race where we live. So I said, well, why don't we do one on the country roads where you and I have trained? It's a great course. We can get a really fast course. So then we, we got the what we call Cheshire 10K at Harley Hall. That is on the roads where Ben and I have trained, where I still train today. And it's one of the best 10Ks in the country now. And so all that has come from just, you know, the innocence of running around the country lanes close to home where I live. Amazing. So, yeah. Is there, I know obviously at the moment when we're, as we currently record this episode, we're still under um, national restrictions in terms of lockdown and stuff like that. Is there is there a date in the future for when that next race is going to be for you guys with, with it all being all right with COVID and stuff? 
the Cheshire 10K run through must organise maybe 200 races a year now. Most of them started off, you know, in the in the, in the Royal Parks in in London, whether it's Hyde Park, Battersea Park, you know, uh, St James's, all kinds of places like that. even Greenwich, I think, where where you're from. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, they're, they're trying to expand all the time. Um, but at the minute, the, the running world, like every other part of the world, it, you know, we don't know what's happening until the, the government release further further rules on lockdown or release of lockdown, and then UK Athletics have got to give their guidance on when races can start again. So yeah, I I do a lot of uh, a lot of helping out at, at the at the races now at run through. I I, I help I marshal at Ben's races at, in in the north of England, and I really really do enjoy marshalling at these races. So I'm always at the run through races in the the north of England. I do some in the Midlands as well. Occasionally go down south and help out at them, and I, I really love to see people running in these races. I'm not not the people at the front of the races. It's the people that that turn out week in week out to watch them run these races is amazing because you know they, they don't get any you know they're not running to win anything they're just there for the sheer enjoyment of running mm-hmm. and it's amazing to see so i love going to help out and marshal at these races and i try and cheer everybody on <laughs> because i know what they're going through especially yeah. the ones that you know towards the back it's obviously hard work for them and they're the ones that they're the backbone of the sport. They're the ones without those, there would be no running in the country. They're the main, you know, the main reason why races are for those people. And they're amazing how they do it. It's great. I, I love that. I love the fact that, you know, that relationship you've had with, with your son to push each other competitively and that he's, you know, t- turn that passion into into a business, into races that people can share their love of the sport with by participating in, just as you're describing, because you're right, it is those mass participation events that kind of allow the sport to continue and, and to thrive. It and it's a real, it's a really difficult period, I think, right now. Myself as a runner, the clubs in London, I'm sure the clubs where you are as well, the, the lack of races, it's, it's really something quite that people are missing right now and people are really yeah. feeling feeling that loss so you know hopefully with with the with the use of vaccines and and whatever else that that hopefully there is a there is a, a path through this so that we can get back to racing and when when that path does return f- for you i mean i know london might not necessarily be on the cards but are you already thinking of what your next kind of thing is that you'd like to attack well at the moment i um I've got a problem with my ankle at the moment, which which happened at the end of September. And the more I think about it, I w- I've talked in the last sort of hour now about a problem I've had with my ankle. And it keeps reoccurring, this same problem with my ankle. It's always my right ankle. It's the same place on the inside of my ankle. I've not been able to run now for sort of six or seven weeks because of that same problem with my ankle. Uh, I'm keeping really fit at the time. I'm still working out every day in my back garden with my weights. And because the gyms are shut, I can't use the elliptical training, so I'm out on my bike every day. And I am really, really quite fit. However, I've not run now for six or seven weeks. And at the moment, my priority is to get back running as soon as possible. As soon as I can get back running, I will then find a focus. And once I find that focus, you know, that goal, that that race where I want to do well in, that's when I'll, um, I'll ramp everything up again. But at the moment... I'm not saying it's good to be injured, but it gives you time to think and focus and work out what you want to do, work out why you do it. Do I want to train this hard again? I'm getting a bit older now. Can I carry on doing it? And I think, well, yeah, of course I can carry on doing it. 
I can still train as hard as I can now as what I ever could. I might not be as quick, but I can certainly put as much effort into it, as much drive, as much focus, and as much de determination. And I'm not competing against other people anymore. I compete against myself. I love the training process. I love giving myself a goal of three or four months away, thinking, right, I'm here now. How can I get there? How can I get from being this fit now to that fit in three or four months' time? And I'm not bothered about beating other people. I just want to see if I can do it for myself and to see if I can fulfil a journey that I want to do. It's as simple as that. Love it. Love it as much now as I ever have done. Probably even more so because I understand when I'm 80, I'm not going to be running. I'm 55 now. You've got to enjoy life while you can because we only live once. So we've got to have a go for it. Graham, I, I do not doubt for a second that when you do get you get your sights on another target that you won't go for it with like not, you know, with complete full focus and, and determination. Um, I will, I've, yeah. I've got to say that these this this discussion has been like rocket fuel in terms of inspiration. Um, just listening to you talk about all of your triumphs and trials that you've been through with with your running uh, history is is incredibly incredibly inspiring. So I'd just like to finish by saying thank you so much for coming on and being an amazing guest on on the Big Run. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Huge thank you to Graham for coming on and sharing all of his experiences with running and just listening to all of those performances in the London Marathon is so, so motivational. And those experiences with his son as well, getting those Guinness World Records for fastest father and son time in a marathon and a half marathon. Incredible, incredible. I don't know about you, but I am ready to go out and start training after that next week on the big run. That idea of that this isn't just like a one day thing. This run isn't about Tuesday. This run is about one part of a much bigger kind of piece. Mm. Um, I think one of the big things that really kind of changed things for me in terms of the way I think about running was Strava. Uh, and it gives you that weekly mileage number. Mm. And that weekly mileage number, I just really, I mean, to almost pretty much to like a fault at this point, but I really like it when that <laughs> weekly mileage number is big. Another good one. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at the Big Run Pod or on Instagram at the Big Run Podcast. And if you want to follow my mileage, which will be nowhere near as insane as Graham's, you can on Instagram at Danny Runs Some. Until then, if you're able, get out there and get running. <laughs>